at the UN Climate Conference COP27 in Egypt, we took a closer look at the future of our planet. How do we build, eat, cook, invest and live if we are to meet the 1.5 degree target of the Paris Agreement by 2050? What changes need to be made and how will they impact our everyday lives? Every action that limits global heating can reduce the suffering endured by people from climate impacts. Drastic emission reduction is necessary, and every fraction of a degree counts. We all know that the future starts with the decisions we make today. So that's why the Nordic countries invited to daily debates at the Nordic Pavilion at the COP27. In this special series of the Nordic Talks podcast, we invite you to listen in on how we drew up the lines of life in the world of tomorrow. I'm Andrea Molt. Welcome. The future starts with the decision we make today. And this COP is all about implementation and finance. We'll look into how we can accelerate the change with climate finance and market mechanisms. The needed transformation is depending on a change in how we think, create, invest in new projects and change the existing. How can investments from private sector and voluntary compensation accelerate this change? And with us today, we have two representatives uh, from different ways of uh, mobilizing climate finance. John Johnson, uh, Jon Jonsson in Danish, uh, CEO for the pension fund uh, PKA. And we also have uh, Hanna-Mari Ahonen, who is a senior consultant at uh, uh, Perspective Climate Research. I will start with you, John, um, because, I mean, all sectors need to contribute to the green transition, also the finance sector. And John, we know that you have changed your focus the last couple of years. How can you see the shift towards the green transition in finance? Well, first of all, thank you for having me today. I think if we look into the way that uh, PKA is looking at the green transformation, it's been a work that we have done for more than a decade now. So we have now invested uh, five million U- billion US dollars in uh, in the green transformation, and we are keep on do- keeping on doing that. So I think that you know, if you look into the Nordic pension funds, they have done a lot of investments uh, currently, and it's been a focus not only for the recent years but for more than a decade. Uh, But we need other pension funds in other parts of the world to do the same thing. When we speak about pension funds, there are a lot of them. Whose money are you using? (laughs) I'm not using anybody's money. I'm investing somebody's money. And PKA represents more than 350,000 health and social workers of Denmark. So it's... uh, nurses, physiotherapists, bioanalytics, and so on. It's actually predominantly uh, female workers, so it's uh, 93% are women. And uh, they have a very strong focus on the pensions that they, they have invested in, that they will get a good pension when they go on pension. But for sure, they also want to do good in the world. So they give me sort of a double target. I have to meet both criterias. So it's very much member-driven. They want... PKA to do good. 
But who's the driver of change here? Is it, is it the pension funds, the clients, or the public sector or um, policy support for the green finance sector? I, I think um, it's different for different pension funds. I think it's, it's a mix. So in Denmark, uh, at least, I know that there's a very strong relationship between uh, regulators and the pension funds. You know, the amount of the size of pension funds in Denmark are enormous compared to the uh, Danish GDP. So if we work together, public and private, then we will really achieve something. So the public sector or the private sector, the pension funds has, has actually agreed to invest uh, uh, more than uh, 350 billion Danish kroners in, uh, in the green uh, transformation by 2030. So, so it's, it's a mix. It's a, more than just the pension fund, the members, or it's, it's a little bit of everything. All of the above. All of the elements, yes. Hanna-Marie <laughs> Ahonen, uh, you are all about carbon markets, uh, to put it kind of short. But first of all, it's not everybody that knows what carbon market is. Tell us, uh, as short and, and clear as you may possibly can, uh, it's, I know it's a complex subject. Thank you for that important question. And... Um, it is a complicated question, but in some ways it's, it's also simple. I think the terminology we use is more complicated than the concept behind it. So carbon markets are um, a way of mobilizing finance. It can be public or private finance. Um, it's about paying for results. And the result is measured in tons of carbon dioxide emissions, um, equivalent, sorry. So when you're reducing emission re uh, emissions or then removing uh, carbon from the atmosphere, you are paid per ton afterwards when you've successfully achieved it. Um, so that is the simple idea behind carbon uh, markets. And these tons need to be additional to what would have happened otherwise. As a, and then when you meet other criteria as well, um, you are certified with, you get certificates that are called carbon credits. One credit is one ton. And you can sell them to buyers and the buyers can use them for different purposes. And this sale is the source of the finance. So when you've reduced a ton, and meet met the criteria and sell them in the markets, find a buyer, you get a price, but the price can be different. So it's a, it's a lively market, but that's the simplest um, explanation on, on carbon markets. So that's a different way of getting results-based finance for your project that otherwise would not happen. Is the complexity of this uh, market, carbon market, also maybe some of the reason why it's so often uh, portrayed as a negative thing in the media. Uh, it, it's portrayed as, as uh, rich countries uh, paying for good conscience. Yeah, I'm an environmental economist, so the idea behind carbon markets was to reward when you do something good. But as we can see in the media, that's usually it's like buying a good conscience instead of rewarding something good. Um, and there is a lot of complexity. The carbon markets have been developed for 20 years under the UN, but also in other spaces. And we've really worked hard. I've been working for 20 years and a lot of Nordic actors as well to make it of high quality. And that creates the complexity. And then if you don't know how the high quality is, tr we try to ensure it, there is a lack of trust um, in the system. So the idea is not complex, but ensuring high quality is complex and it's not perfect and it's easy to find examples that are not perfect but we very rarely speak about 
how we've improved over time and also that there are also good examples. Um, but it's very hard for someone from the outside to assess it and we have independent auditors assessing this. But that's where it gets a little distance from the public, I think, when we start going into the process. And there's thousands, tens of thousands of projects, so there's good and bad mixed up. And it's very hard for a non-expert to see what's good and what's bad, and it's easy to be suspicious about everything, unfortunately. You, you, you have a, a, a huge expertise in this area, so let me ask you, how do you see the carbon market and cooperative approaches for investment uh, in changes and impact? Well, I've been working for the Finnish and Swedish governments on looking for projects, and I think when you actually see the projects, you see the impacts, and, and that makes it concrete, otherwise it feels very abstract. Um, but I worked for, with hundreds of projects and that's where you see it. it we're trying to reduce emissions or remove emissions um, that would not otherwise happen all around the world and bringing technology, sometimes local technology, sometimes high-tech, not always high-tech, but sometimes. Um, and basically the idea is that you're achieving through cooperation more than you could achieve alone. And, and things that we can work together on so i really see that cooperation aspect we can never get to one and a half degrees without cooperating and this is a way to cooperate and some parties with the money will pay and the ones with the potential and and the need will implement and then we will share the results and mm. and and that's i think the beauty of this mechanism that we very rarely talk about is it is a form of, of cooperation beyond boundaries to do more than we could do alone and then sharing those results in some ways, and there's different ways of sharing those results and paying for them. Jon, you looked like you were going to say something. <laughs> no, yeah, 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 sure, no, uh, but, but I can comment on this, but I just want to supplement uh, Hannah Mari and say that I, as a pension fund and a financial institution, are very much in favor of, you know, financial mechanisms that we can use, and one of the stronger for strongest forces that we do have in this world it's not Newton's laws and everything else. That's, of course, some of the very strong forces, but it's the market force. And, the, and I think if I just, you know, take it back down to something very practical, four or five months ago, no day knew how much the price was of a kilowatt hour. They had no idea. Now everybody talks about it. They even have apps on their phones. And, of course, this is due to a very, very tragic uh, crisis in Ukraine. But... It just shows that if you have a carbon emission tax or you have carbon credits or something like that, you can really get things to move. And this has you know, lowered their, their consumption of power in Denmark by more than 10%. And it's really not you know, something that is really, really, really a big issue, but still it has changed the, the mindset of consumers. Mm. And, and that's also driving innovation from companies to do better. So I'm very, very much in favor of carbon credits, carbon emission tax, and so on. And that's what I do every day is, you know, dealing with financial instruments. How can, how can carbon taxes work together with, with uh, carbon or carbon um, compensation? Well, we worked with both. In the Nordic countries, we've been supporting developing countries in introducing carbon taxes and other mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, some countries, South Africa and Colombia, for example, have introduced a carbon tax. Uh, and an alternative to the carbon tax is reducing emissions in your own country. 
uh, and getting carbon credits and paying your tax with these carbon credits. So there are some interesting combinations. In any case, you have a, a monetary value for your emission reduction, which you didn't have before, and that incentivizes private sector to reduce emissions. I'm going to go one step back, Jan, because I won't let you so easily off the hook. <laughs> so, I mean, we were talking about the, the slightly bad reputation that carbon uh, markets can have, but how can you then track the financial flow so that we're certain that in your line of work, we uh, use or, or we, we reach the intended impact? When, when you say that you, you want to invest with a purpose, so how, how do I? control you. Yeah, I, I think that I'm actually very much in favor of what we do in the Nordics is that we have a, you know, strong regulatory uh, view on this. I think that's a very good thing. And it's a, a lot easier to do business if you know, you know, within which frame you're acting as a pension fund. So I'm in favor of regulation. But let's go back to the carbon credit. Uh, I mean, carbon credits, right now, the issue is credibility. I mean, can you trust it? Is it greenwashing uh, or not? And, you know, with, if you look into this from a more sort of um, high level meta discussion, we always know that, you know, we overestimate what we will achieve in the short term and underestimate what we will do in the long term. Mm. And I think that's the same situation we're in now. Now, there was a very good idea with carbon credits. Everybody was in favor. And now we are sliding a little bit down and seeing all the trouble, all the issues. How do we ensure credibility? How do we underwrite it and so on? But with hard work, I'm sure that we can bring in the credibility. And then because it is one of the solutions and it will change the way that we do business. And it's a lot easier if regulators say, I have to do business that way. Then I, it's not my decision. And, and my, you know, my fiduciary role for my members is to ensure that they get the highest pension. It's in the law in Denmark. And if I don't do it, and I do it really bad, eventually I can go to jail. Mm. <laughs> so I have to, have to keep that in focus. But if other regulation says that yeah, I can use carbon credits or we can have carbon emission tax, then for sure I would change even more. So I just call on regulators, you know, push us, we're ready. So the Nordics are kind of leading the way here. I think in many ways, when we come to the climate and the green transformation, the Nordics are definitely uh, leading the way. And that's also why, what I experienced. Just yesterday evening, I was at the, the sort of the ground, first announcement of uh, here at the COP in the Egypt uh, pavilion, uh, together, you know, with John Kerry and uh, all of these very, very high people, uh, high uh, estimate, very, very, very fine people. Uh, and what I know is that uh, some of the Nordic countries did a lot to make this happen. Mm. And that's because they know what we do and they can see that we do good in the Nordics and they want to copy that. So mm. I know that the John Kerry, mm. as one example, is very much in favor of the Scandinavian model, not only due to politics, but also to what we do. Mm. Hanna-Marie, uh, you've been working with Nordic Code uh, for voluntary compensation. And why is there a need for that? And how could that contribute to the path towards a net zero global context, in a global context, I mean? 
Um, yeah, I'd actually like to bring carbon markets generally. Voluntary carbon markets are part of carbon markets. So either you have a voluntary buyer or a, a public buyer, you buy it for voluntary purposes or compliance purposes. Both are hopefully contributing to the same long-term goal. Mm. Um, and for them to all contribute to the long-term goal, they have to be of the same quality. And, and as we were talking earlier, the trust is absolutely um, essential. And it is something that the carbon market has, for good reasons, suffered from. Good and um, some are perceived problems, so there's some real problems as well. But there's been a lot of work, especially by Nordic countries, over the, the two year, 20 years in trying to address these things and really pick the good stuff. Um, and hopefully we can get the voluntary action and the compliance action all working with the same level of quality. I think that's really important that even though you use them for voluntary purposes, the quality is the same. Mm -hmm. um, and it isn't perfect, um, totally um, agree that, but how can we really start working together, the governments and the public private sector, uh, the Article 6 of the Paris Agreement and then the voluntary standards in the voluntary markets. This actually division between voluntary and, and um, compliance is getting blurred and even governments can buy them for voluntary purposes. So it's a bit of a mix. So the important thing is using those who want to do more uh, than what they can do at home and allowing them to use carbon markets as one option and they need to be of good quality and then they can help towards um, the Paris Agreement's long-term goal, either by helping in the targets or going beyond the targets. But trust is absolutely um, integral. And then that also means that the voluntary market has to have the same level of quality as the government. So I would really like to see the voluntary and the, and the mm. government pilots on, mm. on carbon markets really come together. And then I think with, a, with the lack of trust, there's actually three different things that we're not trusting. One is the quality of the credits. But it's also whether companies who are using these or other actors are doing their own part first and only using credits on top of that. That's a separate issue from good quality credits. And thirdly, when they're using these credits, what are they saying? Are, are they making truthful claims? And all three things are quite different with different solutions. Um, and, and they're all quite mixed up into this big bowl of suspicion. So I think it's good to break them down and find the solutions there. It, it's often said that trust is the Nordic gold. And we are, at least I think, uh, somewhat unique in the world. And then if trust is to be a vital element in this transition for the carbon markets to work, it looks kind of gloomy to me. If you look at the lack of trust in the rest of the world or big parts, big chunks of it. So, I, I, am I being just a doomsday prophet here or? Yeah, I think the jury is out right now. Mm. And um, I don't even know how I would bet my money, but I know I'm going to spend all my hours, working hours mm. anyway, um, hoping that trust comes because if trust comes, then the scale comes. If the trust doesn't come, um, it, it's not a useful tool. Uh, it's, it is really very important that way. Um, and right now, we've recognized the challenges that we had in the Kyoto period, and we have been working throughout. And the Nordics have also been handpicking projects on top of what's um, happening in the, in the standards. Um, but then there's also the Paris context. We are also needing to make sure that these credits are not just meeting the old criteria, but they're also in line with the transition, whatever that means. And so there is a really lively moment in time now, and there is lots of efforts to increase trust. Whether they're successful, 
time will tell. I don't know when, but quite soon. And that will tell whether it's a useful tool or not. So uh, we are wanting as Nordics to be very active at this very important moment in time to make sure that we can save the trustworthy part of the markets and keep the, the, the ones that are undermining the trust away. You would yeah, like to say something? I, I, well, just, I mean, if, I think actually the Nordics and the European Union can do something here because uh, we're quite good at making regulation in the EU, actually. Sometimes we think we're moving slow and it's very complicated, and, uh, but actually we are very good at doing regulation. And if we can make you know, a decent and fair regulation around this, we can get the big financial institutions, the big banks, to actually underwrite the credibility of these uh, financial instruments. And that is, you know, when, when this is happening, then it's a market and financial institutions do this every day. They're really, really good at it. And they know if they don't do things the right way, things will happen to them. So they, that will ensure that you can, you know, they will underwrite the credibility of these carbon uh, emission uh, instruments or carbon tax or whatever it is. So, so we need to push it out to the financial institution and then we need some regulation to ensure that they can take that risk on their books and then I'm sure it's not a problem. And the issue about that is that it's back to, you know, we overshoot in the beginning and it takes a while because to make that regulation, it's a, not a three month project, it's, it's a several year project but it will come eventually, I'm sure. It's good to hear that you're optimistic. <laughs> I am, I'm a Nordic, I'm optimistic. <laughs> but, uh, okay, taking that optimism, uh, and when you, when you invest, uh, I mean, I'm just cu curious here, I'm an old journalist, so how much is the, is the PKA portfolio uh, in green finance today, and how much will it be in uh, green finance in 2030? So uh, right now we have 13% uh, of our portfolio is invested in the green transformation. So it's primarily wind and solar, uh, and, and solar farms in the US and in, in Europe. Um, it's, it's 5 billion US dollars invested in that. Mm -hmm. uh, about one and a half percent is actually invested in uh, the um, emerging and developing economies uh, together with the Danish SGG fund IFU and uh, the Maersk African Infrastructure Fund. Um, and, uh, and our goal is to reach 15% by 2025 and then on to 2030. And we are signed up to the Net Zero Asset Owner Alliance, the Paris Aligned, and, you know, we're trying to do as good as we can. But I must say, in the current regulatory environment, we are close to our maximum. If we, you know, we have to diversify our portfolio. Mm. We can't bet on just one thing. We have to make sure that there are pensions in 20 years and 30 years mm. for our nurses. So, so we have to diversify. So we are almost at a maximum, but not all there, but a lot of pension funds across the Nordics and in the world in general can invest a lot. I think some of the Danish pension funds, I'm not that familiar with the Finnish ones or the Swedish ones, but some of the Danish are very far in this mm. process. So. If I say a net zero portfolio all over your activities in 19, uh, 2050, is that a dream or a possible reality? Uh, you know, back to the perspective that we overshoot in the beginning, and I think 2050 is <laughs> the long term. Uh, yeah. I, think it's, I think it's possible, but it's, it will not be driven us, you know, not, like divesting companies. We have to move, you know, all the companies in the world. 
And the way that we have achieved the goals we have now is to set high ambitions and we don't know how to solve it. But then we work along and so far we have actually achieved our goals and sometimes even before we set the target by setting in a target that we did not know how to achieve, but we have a target and then we move forward. Going back to you, uh, Hanna-Marie, um, and carbon markets, I mean, what kind of initiatives are needed uh, as the next steps and who should take that lead? Is it the Nordics or we are a small bunch of people. Uh, maybe we need some larger uh, unity to together. Yes, I think Nordics are larger than their size, um, also because they work with uh, international peers. I think that's really important that the Nordics is clearly a step between the domestic and then the international. There is a lot of initiatives already around. Um, so anytime there is a new initiative, people are like, oh no, not, not anymore. We already have too many. But we had this Nordic dialogue on voluntary compensation to make sense of the initiatives and to contribute to those initiatives and say, what is our view on best practice? And what do we see that the, the carbon markets have to go towards to, to maintain their credibility? So yeah, it was a new initiative, but it was for the other initiatives. And this is a dialogue that's about to end. And now I would really like to see the Nordics continue cooperating because there's a lot of things happening at national level, like Finland, there is voluntary carbon market uh, regulation or guidance being drafted right now. And so also in Iceland. So that's already an obvious reason why we should talk about this at the Nordic level. Part of us are in the EU, so we should really talk about how this fits in the EU. And then we want to talk with our peers like New Zealand, Thailand, Peru are talking about these same things. And so this way Nordics can, can cooperate to bring coherence and alignment around the world because that's what the, the private sector needs. You don't need different rules in every country. Um, so I think a Nordics is a small enough, but also a very respected because we have 20 years experience. So I think that that's why we need some Nordic cooperation um, together with our international peers. Our time is almost up uh, and I have saved two last questions for both of you, uh, which we always have here at uh, this stage at Nordic, uh, the Nordic Pavilion. So, I mean, we, we have a focus on what uh, the Nordic looks like in 2050. Well, how do the Nordics look like in your opinion, John? So how do the Nordics look in 2050? 2050, the broader picture. Uh, it's a very good question. It is hard to answer, but I think very much will be the same, uh, but some things will have changed. I think I would like to, you know, it's a very important thing that we have to change as well as citizens mm. of the world. You know, we can't go on a Greek holiday every year. Mm. It's not possible. So we have to change. But, you know, we might find green solutions to do that so we can get our share of sun <laughs> as we need in the Nordics. So things will change. But I think in many ways, it will be the same, of course, 30 years later. Uh, but, but I think that we will solve a lot of it. We will have a green uh, solutions. I'm quite sure that what will be, we will have all green power in all of the Nordic region. Uh, and it's going to be before the 2050. And we will have green hydrogen and green, uh, green fuels that will help us to solve where we can't use electricity. So I'm, I'm quite sure that it will be pretty much the same thing in the Nordics. The, the issue is the rest of the world and especially in the emerging and developing economies. And I'm very you know, afraid of what will happen from a geopolitical mm. perspective. Mm. Anna-Marie, 
Your turn. Um, yeah, I am hoping that we will actually get to that vision already before 2050. At least in Finland, we're aiming for 2035. And hopefully if we can make things smart and really change the system so it, it works together and not in silos, then we can start to have the circularity mm. and then the green electricity electrifying a lot of the different mm. sectors and really have to figure out the whole forestry and biodiversity issue. And then I hope that we'll be looking back at now and basically, well, 2035 is not far away and neither is 2050. Um, <laughs> The 1990s is as far away as the 90, um, 2050s. Um, we're going to laugh at why we resisted this, because life is good. Um, and, and I really hope that we don't feel it as a sacrifice. Of course, things will change, but we'll get good things instead. And then once we've shown it in the Nordics, we will take it to the rest of the world, cooperate with the rest of the world. That's where we will be needing carbon markets. But also within the Nordics, um, we might cooperate because the harder the things we're doing like bioenergy, carbon capture and storage, which is then stored in the Icelandic ground. We actually need Nordic cooperation and we might need carbon markets to just share the, the, um, the benefits here if the money comes from different countries and the carbon goes to different countries. So even in extremely ambitious uh, situations, you can do more with cooperation. Thank you so much, uh, Hanna-Marie Ahonen and Jon Jonsson. Give them all a hand.